Welcome to a new episode of The Brand Called You. Today, I have a very, very accomplished lady with me, Dr. Neeru Kumar. Neeru, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Uh, Neeru is a medical doctor. She's a trained psychologist. She's a diversity and inclusion consultant. And of course, she's a certified Mars Venus coach. So tell me a little bit about your early life. My early life. So if I talk about my professional life, I always wanted to be a doctor since I was a very little child. And uh, it happened. Hmm. So I went to Mulana Azad Medical College right after school. I was the first batch of 10 plus 2. And right after that, I went to... That was a very tough medical college to get into. Yes, it was. It was. It was also... uh, I was was very pleased to get into Hmm. that college. So I think college life has been one of my best periods of my life. And I acquired... Uh, the best of knowledge and the best of friends okay. and uh, the best of networks uh-huh. in during that period, which right. continues even till today. Wonderful. And uh, right after that, uh, there were there were personal issues in life. Mm-hmm. I did want to do post graduation in either pediatrics or gynecology or one of the subjects, but mm-hmm. it so happened that I landed up in CGHS, Central Government Health Services, yeah. and I was there for more than twenty eight years. Wow. But uh, all along, I had this that the actualization of my full potential has not yet happened. Mm -hmm. Um, There were certain fields that I was very passionate about and I felt that was not yet fulfilled. I think I was always a very uh, big seeker. Mm -hmm. So I was seeking things that would uh, um, satisfy my curiosity Mm -hmm. and creativity. So I think I just kept following those lines and it led from one thing to the other. Uh, I learned Reiki, which was had just touched India at that time, about 22 to 23 years back. Then I started teaching Reiki and it continues even till today. Mm-hmm. So because it's a passion, I think I still take out time for that. And then I went into psychology and then got into the Mars Venus and then the coaching. And then I took a voluntary retirement uh, far from, earlier than the actual retirement. From CGHS? From CGHS. Oh. And I was at the highest administrative grade at that time, which is the senior most rank in a government cadre. Okay. Um, people thought I was crazy to do that, <laughs> but I just took the But chance. life's calling was different. Yes, yes. Wonderful. yes. So tell me, you know, uh, about diversity and inclusion. Yes. What kind of work do you do? So I can say that uh, I partner with the organizations and their leaders. Mm. To transform the Mm. culture into a more diverse, more inclusive, more authentic Mm. and thereby naturally more productive environment and uh, also for individuals, uh, I do a lot of transformational Mm. uh, leadership coaching and when I use the word transform, I don't use it lightly because there's a a connotation to it. It's like Mm T-R-A-N-C-E, transformation which uh, actually means breaking down the old paradigms, Mm. the old paradigm and belief structure into what we live in, Mm. challenging the present structure and then moving towards something which is much bigger. I'm a founder of the organization called Ask Insights, Mm. which is a diversity and inclusion uh, consulting firm. So tell me, you know, know, in 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 a current world where there is a lot of diversity, but there is a lot of lack, lacking in inclusion. Yeah. Why is diversity and inclusion so important? Hmm. So, you know, whenever I do any kind of a session, mm-hmm. I always say to the group in front of me 
that it's not only about the organization it is the organizational cause is very very important but it's also about an individual growth and yeah. i tell the people in front of me i said this could be perhaps the most important session of your life mm. because the lucky is the organizational agenda it's actually a huge individual agenda where you actually stretch your mind mm. uh, we all know today that iq is not limited to what you were born with correct the mind there's a difference between the brain and the mind and iq can literally be increased by stretching the mind right and i think one of the best ways of doing that is by being in with diverse people otherwise you're in the same circle with the same churning of thoughts and ideas mm. but when all those come together yeah. the canvas becomes so much more richer mm. but inclusion is a totally different story mm. so you welcome diversity organizations welcome diversity right. if you and i were asked we'll say we welcome diversity yeah. But then we have a huge unconscious mind of eighty-eight percent, which has been conditioned by our lenses, layers, and legacies. Yes, absolutely. And therefore, we are, despite wanting to, we are not able to be as inclusive as we would like to be. And all our blind spots and all our old patterns just keep turning up again mm. and again. I don't think it's anybody's really fault, but I think there is a whole unconscious machinery at mm. work there, mm. which needs expertise to be able to manage to making people. the way they want to be inclusive so i think everybody wants to be inclusive mm. there are only a few group of people who do it from a conscious level of being non inclusive correct right? correct because as individuals the greatest thing we all searching for ourselves is belonging i agree yeah I agree. And, and and i think we ready to give that mm. if anybody is questioned but it takes a lot of hard work correct and a lot of introspection and soul searching to be able to say i Tremendous. need to be inclusive if i want to be included tremendously and then that would mean taking out time from your bandwidth mm. to take out the time to practice those things understand those things mm. and then being able to do it yes i agree yes. so you know you're 28 years as a medical doctor <laughs> mm, and a psychologist yes how has these two skills helped you in uh, developing your coaching practice yes so mind body medicine which is so well talked about i think it's the biggest reality of existence actually that our mind completely affects our body and our body completely affects our mind mm. and when i am talking to individuals in simple language which they can understand mm. when i bring that knowledge to the forefront and i talk to them about how there's a master pituitary gland there which controls all your hormones mm. and then the stress hormones which are there in today's corporate world so you're running on adrenaline and cortisol and right. how they are going to affect your uh, sugar level mm. how they're going to affect your hormonal level is something when you show them the entire cycle mm -hmm. it's a aha moment for them and they really wow. understand that you know and uh, when as far as psychology is concerned i think when we talk about unconscious biases till a person has an in-depth knowledge of what is the unconscious mind mm -hmm. just reading it from somewhere and speaking it out i think will not equip you mm -hmm. to to one cause that transformation which i was talking about see i'm i'm also a hypnotherapy teacher wow. i'm also a nlp master practitioner incredible So I have actually learned NLP from the founder of NLP, Dr. Richard Bandler. So I use a lot of those techniques, and that's how you can, uh, with of course, with the consent of the person that mm -hmm. you're doing it with, that they would like that transformation. Sure, sure. And then that learning becomes so permanent, Ashutosh, that uh, it's so gratifying for me that when I meet people six years, seven years later after they have done a training program with me, they say the learning is still there. so active in our mm. minds and that's a very fulfilling experience but you need a deep knowledge of the unconscious mind I in that so i do something called a whole being woman leadership program mm. that program is actually a culmination of all my years of experience in medical science in psychology 
in NLP, in diversity, because I do something which I call the SPEAR model, mm -hmm. which is the uh, spiritual, the physical, the emotional and the business acumen. Mm -hmm. Uh, and R is the relationship, mm -hmm. health of a woman. Okay. And unless, because a woman has so many aspects to Absolutely. her, unless they get integrated mm -hmm. into and aligned, uh, till then their planets are going to be scattered all over the place. And then I tell them that there are three or four basic ingredients which are required to just align them together. Mm -hmm. And then I say that the spear is not a destructive one. It's a very constructive one which hits the bullseye mm -hmm. to make you not only successful, but happily successful. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. So, very interesting. so that's where the culmination of all those skills and it becomes very fulfilling for me that none of those areas are detached from each other. Yeah. True. True. Very Another true. interesting place I do yeah. that is the gender uh, work which I do where men and women are different. Mm -hmm. And you were talking to me about Marfinus where Dr. John Ray actually discovered that before science discovered it, that the brains of men and women are different. Correct. So... When I bring that knowledge with the brain science element, I, I cannot even tell you how well received that is. I can is. imagine. I can imagine. Because people are trying to decode gender relationships mm -hmm. all the time. And when they see a scientific basis to it, they're actually thrilled at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you do a lot of training. And I do. you've trained over 20,000 people. Yes. Um, what kind of challenges, um, if it's not confidential, what kind of challenges do you encounter uh, with such a large number of people, especially when it comes to the brain or coaching or behavior patterns. Yes. Um, so, you know, as you know, diversity and inclusion was uh, largely gender in India. So, I can humbly say perhaps I'm the person who brought the concept of diversity and inclusion to India. There was nobody else doing it at that time. This was about 13 years back. And at that time, it was largely gender. But I had the good fortune to be uh, associated with and have partnerships with a lot of thought leaders around mm. the world. Mm. And there they were talking about much other, many other aspects of diversity. So, you know, I have uh, tried mm. to bring in newer concepts to India at each step when people were ready for it. Mm. But however, in the beginning, it was, it was a tougher battle than it is today. It was considered just as a soft skill. And when you would walk into, say, a classroom or even with leaders, when you would walk in, they would consider, is there a need? Mm -hmm. Is there a need to do it? Yeah. People were very set in their patterns at that time. It's, it's changing dramatically now. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking about much bigger aspects of diversity. However, having said that, I think this is one subject where the mindset resistances will always be there, mm -hmm. where people will feel insecure about moving out of the comfort zone and changing into a behavior which mm -hmm. is new to them, mm -hmm. the inclusive behavior. And that at times brings up challenges of people saying, are you going to take away our opportunities mm -hmm. by inviting, let's say, more women? Mm -hmm. Men will say that. Mm -hmm. or, or they would even fear the social structure where they would say that if you're inviting many more women into the workplace, mm -hmm. what's going to happen to families? Correct. Correct. And then there is the all new spaces of the LGBTQ and all, yeah. which will take a long time for the old beliefs to dismantle. Correct. Correct. So those are, those are some of the resistances which one faces, but one also enjoys steering people towards a much more different, different That's paradigm. True. That yes. is true. Yes. And, you know, uh, I do believe that a lot of these biases, yeah. which have been there, say, for people of my generation, yeah. have completely disappeared in the millennials of today. What are your mm. thoughts? I think it just keeps changing form. Okay. Do they still exist? They do. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's something new for me. 
Okay. Yeah. I, though I feel yes, uh, technology and globalization and knowledge mm-hmm. has really brought the millennial mindset into perhaps more inclusive in some ways, but it changes color. Mm-hmm. Like I said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, for example, for the LGBTQ mm-hmm. sexual orientation, the millennials are very open to that. Correct. Gender still remains issue, by the way. Really? Because what you have seen with your parents in your previous generations is not going to go away that fast. Mm-hmm. So if you've seen your mother in a certain role, then you, what you see in the current women is not going to be so fast. But newer concepts like LGBTQ mm-hmm. or, or even disability, it's easier for them to accept I see. than gender. Okay. So often they tell me when I go into a classroom, these are very young people. I don't think they'll have any problem with gender. And when we start talking... The same beliefs do surface up again. Mm. Hmm? So uh, at, a, at a much more uh, subtle level Correct. But than an award, award level of the previous generation. And someone trained like you probably is able to pick it up much better. Yes, and I, I think I'm blessed with being able to form rapport with people that people start speaking for themselves. <laughs> so that happens. But then there are other forms of, I think there's a huge generational bias which occurs in the millennials versus the the Xers and the baby boomers. Xers are their uh, managers and baby boomers are their parents. Mm. So that kind of bias, I think, is is something still to be that is true. addressed. Yes. <laughs> That's true. I agree. So let's talk a little bit about coaching. Yes. You know, uh, traditionally, coaching in our country, in our country, or mentoring, they're different. I know, was done either in a family business by an elder, correct, or in the corporate world by someone your boss was just seemed to have taken a liking for you. Yes. And yet, coaching is something which is now getting much more acceptable. Oh, yes. So, my question to to you is that who should look for a coach? Mm. Okay. So, you know, interestingly, when I uh, started doing this work and I said, I'm a Mars Venus coach. Again, there was nobody doing it at that time. And people would ask me, how is Mars Venus related to sports? Mm. Because coaching was only, only sports. Only sports. Correct. Correct. <laughs> and then I had to tell them all about this. And then they thought it was therapy. Mm. And it is not therapy either. Mm. Um, so when you say who needs a coach? Well, I have a coach. Mm. I coach thousands and thousands of people, mm. leaders. But I have a coach for myself. Yep. Yeah. And I think having a coach is sheer luxury. Mm. It's a necessity as well as a luxury. Because in today's absolutely fast-paced world, where you're really t- trying to make sense of everything, where knowledge is infinite, mm-hmm. how to apply that knowledge to your context, mm-hmm. what is relevant. Sometimes you get overwhelmed, sometimes you get carried away, sometimes yeah. you get insecure. Okay. That's the time, because you're emotionally attached to the work you're doing. Mm-hmm. You may have a very high level of intellect, but you're not able to sift out that knowledge and experience to fit it into in a in a more objective way into your context to have your goals clear in front of you right. and have someone showing you the light. Mm-hmm. The walk is of course yours, mm-hmm. but then you need someone to show you the light. Then mm-hmm. the coach does just that. Correct. Correct. Yes. Correct. And uh, what goes into selecting a good coach? Hmm. So I think basically three ingredients. The coach must have. Uh, a knowledge okay. so I think everybody seeks for me I say uh, I get really stimulated by someone who can give me new knowledge in an interesting way mm-hmm. <laughs> so somebody you, you, everybody seeks to learn something which they didn't know before Correct. right Correct. so the knowledge part 
then is the rapport, the ability to build a rapport with your coachee. Correct. It's so important. Mm. The third is empathy and good listening. Mm. So if your coach is not able to listen to you, understand you, get into your shoes mm. rather than speaking from their own paradigm mm. and is always trying to lead you into a place which you're not even comfortable with, then that won't do. Okay. So the good listening and the empathy part is so critical, mm. right? And then after that, together, you're mm. able to respectfully form an alliance where you can uh, together brainstorm into a more objective way mm. and, and have new knowledge. The coach might bring a wealth of knowledge from all the other coaches yeah. the person does. Mm. All of that is very critical. Also, the coach must be ready to uh, be able to say, I don't know this mm. or okay, I goofed it up here. Yeah. Mm. Uh, this doesn't fit what you're looking for. Mm. So, okay, let's re-look at it. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So, and one more question on coaching before we move to another segment. Um, if I have a coach, yes. how do I evaluate that my coach is good? Yeah. So, we all do the internet searching. We all see the credentials the degrees and the years of experience Correct. and the client list. We all see that. I think after that, the first session itself is a breakthrough. Hmm? So when you go and meet a person in the first session, you get a sense of that comfort and that rapport. Usually, might take two, but usually the first session with all the coachings that I do, I think I'm able to establish that rapport with my coachee in the first session itself. Okay. And when that first session happens, then the coachee immediately senses, senses that rapport, that empathy, that joint work which is being done mm -hmm. and is ready to then move on uh, okay. to, a, to a larger relationship. So there's a lot of instinctive and gut feeling mm -hmm. and unconscious mind mm -hmm. because rapport is always from one unconscious mind to the other. Correct. So if both the coach and the coachee are feeling that, then the journey ahead becomes like, yes, of course we are doing it. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice answer. So let's move to uh, a question I ask of a lot of people, which is on gender balance. Yes. We did speak about a little earlier, but that was more on diversity. Yes. You know, in India, gender balance is over the last seven, eight years is getting to be much more accepted. Mm -hmm. But a lot of women I have spoken to on my show mm -hmm. say that we still have a long way to go. Oh, yes. What are your thoughts? Oh, that's a, such a deep subject for me, you know, mm. because I do a lot of uh, women programs with women leaders. Mm. Currently, we are in the process of doing um, programs where six to seven organizations have partnered together mm. uh, for their women leaders to come. And they even get cross-mentored by leaders of the other organization. It's, one of them is called Reach Out. Mm -hmm. And it's with organizations like PepsiCo. Microsoft, the Tatas, yeah. PwC, American Express, mm -hmm. RB. Mm -hmm. These six organizations have joined hands and it's an eight-month journey where we are designing and managing the entire journey mm -hmm. and I'm a coach to them myself in that journey. Okay. And there are similar projects running with a lot of organizations like the Tata Group and many others. So, and these women I find, they are they're very intense people. And I think Indian women today are also very ambitious. I agree. They have because of the hardships also acquired tremendous skills. Correct. However, there is a past. Hmm. And that past, if not addressed, 
if not managed. And there is a difference. I think two things which really impact. One is the past, specifically in a country like India, mm -hmm. where they have encountered biases right from childhood and in workplace. Yes, definitely. Still is there. So if that is pushed under the carpet, we are not going to be able to make much progress. The second thing is the difference between men and women. The, the emotional fabric of a woman is completely different from that of a man, right? And somehow, unfortunately, in many places, including by women themselves, sometimes that's seen as a negative. I think it's a huge positive, but it's seen as a negative. And then in the process, what happens is that women to get accepted, start covering. Mm -hmm. We use the term covering largely for LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. And I think women cover a lot too. Mm -hmm. So some what does cover mean? So cover means that you try to minimize your identity, identity, your okay. identity, identity okay. not even your vulnerability, your entire identity mm -hmm. to be accepted by the majority. So oh. people of minority or people who are marginalized would try to cover their identity or underplay it so that they are accepted. I see. Right? So I mean I have a disability, as mm -hmm. you know. And I think in my entire childhood, I was always forced to fit in and I would try to pretend and do all the things which others would do, uh, which was a huge uphill task. Right. right? So I think women today are also trying to hide their identity or cover their identity by saying that it's not about gender. And when I, I'm pained when I hear people, women say it's not about gender. Yes, it is about gender because that's your identity. Right. Yes. Correct. And when we are covering the identity, which is now science knows that men and women are different, mm -hmm. then it goes against your total body structure. And there again, the mind body comes in yeah. where the whole hormones, I think, mm -hmm. get really disturbed. Diseases like PCOD, polycystic ovarian disease mm -hmm. are so much on the rise today because the hormonal balance of women is, is in a turmoil. Mm -hmm. So I think women leadership and gender today... We've, we've made progress, but it's just moving in directions which are still very challenging for men and women to be able to accept the differences and the identity of themselves and of the other gender will still take a lot of expertise and a lot of time. Yep. And I guess, as you said earlier, there are so many legacy processes that have been there in our families, in our Absolutely. Uh, society. I guess it will take time. It will, it will. And sometimes women being on an overdrive to prove and succeed now despite all the resistances is also causing them to, you know, lose the work-life balance, mm. lose their own me time, yeah. their own space. Yeah. And the emotional fabric is then getting further disturbed. I agree. Amazing. So I've got a few questions for you personally. Now. Yes, yes. Uh, my first question is that after such a successful career, as a medical doctor and, you know, achieving so much and training thousands and thousands of people and being such a successful coach. Have you had any uh, people who had an influence on your life? Mm. And if yes, what have been your learnings from them? Mm. So I always say my biggest teacher and mentor was my father. Mm -hmm. So he was a man far beyond his times. Mm -hmm. He came from Pakistan with not a penny in his pocket and he made a very, very successful business for himself. Okay. He gave me a lot of exposure by making me travel all over the world. He helped me overcome my physical and psychological barriers of having a disability. He told me to go conquer the world. Uh, there were no automatic cars at that time. And when I was 16, 17, he said, let's learn driving. 
So we actually made a device where the brake and the clutch were linked by a lever. Wow. And we went to Germany, we got it made and we gave it to many people over here. Uh, so I was driving that for a very long time. So I was operating both the brake and the clutch with my right foot. Today, of course, I drive an automatic car that makes me hugely mobile. True. So those were the kind of things he did for me. Uh, NLP, when I talk about, he started talking about, he gave me a book on NLP when I was just about 15 years old. So these are the things I've grown up in. So I was highly influenced by him. The other person is Dr. John Cray himself, the author of the book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. I think he's a brilliant man. He has a deep insight into human behavior and yet he's immensely compassionate and caring. He may be touching thousands of lives, but he cares for each of those lives. So I think he he was a big teacher for me in that. Um, Richard Mandler, who's the who's the founder of NLP, he's brilliant into un- understanding the unconscious mind, and that really inspires me because the unconscious mind is a huge journey. So that really, I think these three people have been have been really my fantastic. So my last question to you, and this question is on failure. You know, uh, as a psychologist, I'm sure you encounter a lot of failure. I've often said that. Uh, Indians, in particular Asians in general, don't teach children it's okay to fail. Yes, yes. Uh, and which manifests itself that, you know, come first every time, first yes. in class, ahead of everyone, etc. And yet we fail all the time. Yes. My question to you is, what have been your learnings from some of your mistakes or your failures? Yeah, that's a, that's will require some vulnerability from my side yeah. to speak about yeah. it. So, you know, I think... Uh, in the interest of time, I'll talk about more of a personal failure than a professional failure. So I think I, when I got married, I got married uh, twice. Mm -hmm. So when I got married the second time, it was even more important for me to retain that marriage because when I got divorced and married, in that time, divorce was unheard of. Mm -hmm. And therefore, now to retain this marriage is a matter of great importance. And somewhere my mother's paradigm of uh, making the husband, I think women of that generation, mm-hmm. making the husband a real important pedestal mm-hmm. figure, translated it me and those two things added up. And perhaps what I did wrong at that time was that I gave up my financial independence. Mm-hmm. So I would not even look at what I was earning myself. Mm-hmm. And I would just, and he, he was, he was used to a more patriarchal style because his mother was non-working. He, he's a wonderful man. He's a leading radiologist in Delhi today. And um, uh, we still have a very romantic and loving relationship. But we went through this phase where I think I suddenly realized that I had totally given up my financial freedom and I was living my mother's paradigm and the fear of society. It took me a year or two to reset things. But then I realized... The important learning for me at that time was, it's not about blaming him. It was my set of those lenses and layers and legacies, which made me do what I did. And taking responsibility for that time of turmoil when I had to reset and shift things, I think that was a very learning period for me. Amazing. Thank you. And I share that with women whom we try to talk about financial independence with women. That's fantastic. So, Niru, thank you very much. What a pleasure it has been to speak to you. And Absolutely. Thank you for Same being... for me also, Ashutosh. Yeah. It's been thank lovely. You. And wish you lots of success. Thank you so much. I hope your 20,000 goes to 200,000. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'd like to do that. I'd like to keep working till the last day of my I'm life. I'm sure you will. Thank you very much. <laughs>
for listening to the Brand Called You podcast. Be sure to visit tbcy.in to join the conversation, access show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. You can follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Simply search for The Brand Called You. Thank you and see you next week.